When most of us interact with blockchain technology, we are experiencing the end user product. But the smart contracts that run these projects are a bit more complicated. Akin to code, smart contracts require specific programming language to make them do the things they do. Well, what if it wasn't that difficult to create a smart contract? And what if you could write one with plain English? Today, we welcome Henning Diedrich to the show to discuss how Lexon solves this problem. The first architect of IBM's blockchain hyperledger and liaison to the Ethereum developing team, which includes Vitalik, Henning knows a thing or two. He might even teach us three things today on this I can code three lines of basic, so what? Episode number 691 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Welcome to the show. Joel Com here. Travis right there. I cannot program my way out of a paper bag. How about you, Sir Lord? You know, with the new uh, ChatGPT 4's code interpreter, you probably can code way more than you probably thought you could. Maybe I should go in there and say, ChatGPT, help me get out of this paper bag. Yeah, <laughs> Let me code like, to get out. Turn, turn right. Yeah. Uh, I actually... Out. When I bought my first computer in 1980, uh, the TRS-80 Model 1, it basic was the programming language, and I learned just enough. You know, you'd go line 10, print, hello, I'm a computer, line 20, go to 10, and it would just fill the screen with, hello, I'm a computer, and that's about right. it. I remember that. I, I remember sitting in Mrs. Walker's class in high school, playing, learning computers, and I was like, this is so stupid. Like, we're not, we don't need any of this yet. I go, it's not ready yet. I'm not going to put any brain power towards this yet. And what I literally did in my junior year is in, at the semester, I said, I'm transferring out of this computer class. She's a horrible teacher. I'm going to go, I'm going to go work at, at the, in the library for that, for that hour. And so my junior year, I got, I said, I'm done with this. This is horrible. I'm going to come back and learn it later. And I have, I just could see it was just, she was a horrible teacher. She was, and she just had an attitude. And I was like, I don't want to even sit in this lady's class. She, she makes this not fun at all. Mm. And for me to not want to be in a computer class, you know how shitty that class had to be? Oh, yeah. Well, see, I imagine that that's not what actually happened. What actually happened is you were like, I want to be a Broadway dancer. And you <laughs> leapt out of the room like a gazelle. Right. I was like, can I? I've already found Carmen Santiago. How many times? Uh, Broderbound. I've, I've got to figure it out. What, what next? I'm done. And then she's like, well, I think that was part of the problem is I figure shit out a little too quick sometimes. And then I disrupt everybody else because they're still trying to figure it out. And so then I'm cracking jokes and then I get in trouble. So that's what happened when I was younger and probably still today. I, I imagine that that's a similar story from just about every stand up comedian that's ever been right in school. They were telling jokes and getting in trouble and being sent to the principal or dean's office. And, you know, their grades were probably average because they were focused on making people laugh rather than being a straight-A student. 
Mm. Yeah, my mom would always get phone calls and, and then they would be like, you know, your son said this today and totally disrupted the class. And she's like, well, what did he say? And then she said, well, we were in this and he learned this and he said this. And she would bust out laughing. Like, oh, my God, that's pretty funny. <laughs> so my, my mom was not a deterrent. And what was funny was at that time for me is that they still did SWATs in school. And so I would disrupt the class. I would, I literally got to the point. I'd be like, okay, is this funny enough? To Is it worth a SWAT? Okay, this is worth a SWAT. And then I would go out. I have to go out in the hall. Then the principal would see me. All right, come on, Travis. Let's get a couple SWATs. And then got a couple SWATs and then went back to class and sat down a little more, a little more gingerly. Did uh, you have your own SWAT team there on call? And you'd go home yeah. and say, Mom. I told a SWAT worthy joke today and she'd go at a boy. This Atta joke boy. was totally SWAT worthy. Listen to this one. Oh, actually <laughs> so, I did have one that was SWAT worthy. I tell this one. So I was in eighth grade in Mrs. Hedger's class and Mrs. Hedger, she did not like me so much at that time. She ended up, I ended up being one of her favorite students because she ended up teaching in high school too. But uh, we were, she was teaching eighth grade English and she said, I said something and she made me go out in the hall with the dictionary and from the letter I, start at the beginning of I and, and write every definition all the way down to idiot. <clears throat> so I get down to idiot and I go, idiot, someone who acts as an imbecile or needs attention and blah, blah, blah. And I go, dot, dot. Also, see Mrs. Hedger. <laughs> <laughs> My mom busted up laughing on that one. She cannot believe I had balls to say that. That's that perfect. Was- Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on a completely different subject, making smart contracts easy to write is the uh, subject matter of our interview today with Henning Dietrich. I think you guys are going to like this as he talks about symbolic AI, the eternity chain. This is a dude who's been there from the beginning of Ethereum. So listen in. Here we go. We do talk a lot about AI, not just on this show, but also on the Bad AI Show. And many people want to know, what is the connection between AI and cryptocurrency, blockchain, smart contracts? Well, today's guest is going to help bring it all together for us to unify it. His name is Henning Dietrich. And Henning is the creator of Lexon, which is a programming language that makes blockchain smart contracts readable. In plain English, he's got a uh, storied background with IBM. He was the first architect of the blockchain Hyperledger. He's worked with the Ethereum development team. I think this guy probably knows what he's talking about. So, Henning, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, sir. Hey, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, go ahead and fill in the the gaps there of your history in blockchain and, and who you've worked with so we get a better feel of uh, who we're talking to here. Yeah, sure. I mean, I basically have been part of the Ethereum crowd when they came to Berlin for the first time. And uh, I was working in mobile payment at that point in time. And a colleague of mine never stopped talking about crypto and how that would be so much better as compared to how we were trying to address dinosaur APIs that were so old that people literally forgot how to use them, trying to connect smartphones to banks, basically. So I hung around and I was actually there, there on DEFCON Zero um, and uh, was, of course, fascinated. Um, for me, I guess the big thing about blockchain was that it solved something that I thought couldn't be solved, right? And that was Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, oh, yeah, right. That's how you do it. It was just a genius solution. And then I found that underneath, even Bitcoin had actually a programming language, right? Script 
and uh, I was hooked. Uh, there was a lot of things coming together really from my programming experience because I had been doing uh, high velocity databases where you also have this uh, challenge of consensus between different machines. I've been doing cryptography um, as uh, in different use cases, but uh, all of that was basically coming together. And then long story short, at some point I was uh, summoned to San Francisco, became one of the first dozen who was basically tasked finding out what IBM should be doing in blockchain. And uh, before I knew it, I was basically the technical architect of Hyperledger. So um, that was a real fascinating journey, of course. Um, IBM at first uh, was exploring whether they would get fully behind Ethereum. And um, I, I would have wished actually for this to happen, but then it was also an awesome opportunity, of course, to um, create a blockchain that had a very strong focus, a very good focus on how businesses would be using blockchain. So um, that was uh, that was also a very interesting experience on the corporate side. Like it's a huge company. It's not necessarily that uh, it always uh, would listen to the technicians. There are a lot of marketing um, uh, uh, aspects that they're uh, thinking about. And then at a certain point in time, I drifted away from that and um, became part of a department within IBM that was again working with Ethereum. And then I was a little bit of the go between between the Ethereum world and IBM and giving talks, um, becoming Mr. Blockchain, because at that point, nobody yet was talking about um, blockchain at IBM. It was still not quite clear whether that topic would be um, something that IBM would really bet on. And then it was really interesting that uh, when IBM joined the field and really got behind blockchain, came out with Hyperledger, that was actually really good for the entire field at that point because it was a little bit in the slump, but then IBM, the big name um, behind that, that was really um, pushing new life, breathing new life in the whole um, industry. Later, um, I was actually confronted with um, the legal aspects of um, blockchain, smart contracts. And um, one of the uh, Monica's back then, it was like IBM was talking about the democracy of things. Like that was the IoT concept with blockchain that IBM was pushing at that point. And the question was, what happens if a smart contract is even just frivolously sued, right? And you can't even stop it. So that's where this idea emerged um, that it would be great if smart contracts would be readable, right? Um, for not only programmers, but for everybody. And this was something that I then later pursued when I, even when I left, after I left IBM, I was um, more and more interested in um, these discussions about what is a smart contract in the first place. There was this um, discussion about is code law, uh, laws code and so on. And I, at, over some Christmas break, I was sitting down basically and checking whether it could work that you have a programming language that is completely human readable, like that really reads like English text. And it looked like, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, in reach that you could actually create something crazy like this. I had created programming languages before. And because in crypto, everybody was talking about it, but nobody was really sitting down doing it. I felt like, okay, maybe I give this a try. And then I was lucky that I was in the talk circuit back then and met law professors uh, through Constance Choice, Koala, where I would give you keynotes and uh, talks explaining blockchain to normal people at this point. I also uh, wrote this book back then. Do you know this book? Maybe by any chance, did you ever see that? It's so called that was, Ethereum. It's called Ethereum, right? It was the first book on Ethereum. 
that I wrote back then. So I was always interested in bringing uh, the technology. And what year would that have been by, by chance? What, what ballpark time frame? Pardon? What, what year, year did that? that book come out? Yeah. Uh, that was 2017, 2016, 2017. So it was really the first book around, right? It was uh, exactly when things took off and it was an Amazon number one bestseller. And uh, it was a really amazing experience because I had just written it like I wanted, just uh, tried my hand at doing this. And then it was a huge success and people were coming back and thanking me for how this changed their lives. And that was very, very uh, rewarding in the end. So... In the same spirit of basically explaining or making accessible what for us technicians is like our own separate world, Lexon, this programming language basically that reads like normal English is something that you can write smart contracts in. And what I'm using under the hood is stuff that is basically AI technology that has been developed for symbolic AI, which is very complementary what we have now, which is generative AI but it's more about executing stuff, more like having a model within your computer that you can then act on, right? It's not so much about generating text in an intelligent way, um, but it's about using this text. And it really has a completely different um, inner working, right? The, the number crunching that you use from generative AI, like the feeding, training the artificial intelligence, that's all, that all works completely different. It's just not churning these uh, crazy amounts of, of data, but it's instead working with very precise models of what the actual structure of a document is. So, and, and that is- pretty fascinating. Let's take a step back real quick. Because I, th I have a feeling that we can wind you up and you can just go on and on and on. We gotta, we gotta get a pause in every once in a while. Uh, no, but, but uh, so I wanna make sure that people understand what's going on with this. So. You, you basically created this plain text, what, what it says on the website, lexon.org, a plain text programming languages that basically allow for digital contracts and laws to create this trustless layer between text and the legal system. So are, is, is what you're saying is any attorney, anyone can basically say, pop, 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 here it is, here's our legal jargon BS, and, and then generate a smart contract? Or are people taking their smart contracts they've already written and then plug it into your system and translate it into lawyerese? Or are you just writing it directly inside Lexon uh, and, and executing it from there? I, I don't think I fully understand that. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for giving me the chance here to clarify. So Lexon is its own language. It is a subset of English, which is why when you write in it, you can perfectly read it. And if you scroll down a little bit, you also see um, uh, an example. There you go. Like on the left-hand side, that's Lexon, right? Lex and escrow. So this is code we're looking at here. Exactly. This is, actu this is actually the scripting language itself that I'm reading, which is reading like a poem. <laughs> it <laughs> says, Lex escrow. Payer is a person. Payee is a person. Arbiter is a person. Payments an amount. The payer pays a payment into escrow, appoints the payee, appoints the arbiter, and also fixes the fee. This is a smart contract I'm looking at here? Yes, exactly. And I'll be happy to live demo to a certain degree how this is automatically translated into a uh, blockchain smart contract. Um, the, the trick, so to say, is that this is a subset of English. Like, you couldn't just write anything you wanted. It's not about 
um, taking just any contract and filling it in there. It has a very clear grammar that is unambiguous, which is super important. And it also has a certain document structure, which is taken from how contracts work. Like they have the definitions in the beginning, then they have a recital, then they have clauses, but you really have to keep to that, right? So the focus is really about creating readability for everybody, to be inclusive for everybody to come and join and double check what the contents actually is and broadening what it means, what the developing team, development team actually is, right? So, so if is, you, is there yeah. an attorney on the team? Yeah, it's, it's like, because it's like you're creating this new language. It's almost like somebody would need to have you know, uh, uh, expertise in, in law and have expertise in blockchain to be able to create this. So you've created this. You told us your background. You worked at IBM. You've created some code and languages and stuff. What background do you have in law that allows you to, to create this, that, that way attorneys and lawyers would be like, oh, yeah, this is totally legit. We, we love this. So there's a lot of input in there from law professors that I was super lucky to um, that make themselves available. And they were interested in this, helping me to, you know, even understand how the whole structure has to be and making it as much uh, inviting for, for lawyers and uh, people from the legal business as, as possible. Right. I do as a freelancer, I do have sufficiently um, uh, involuntary um, experience with uh, with courts and how all that works because you know every five years or so somebody doesn't pay you and then you have to learn that part of life too and you also learn how it's completely deficient right it's really not working well and people are people who know the tricks they use it against you really really badly right so that there is something there that this two thousand year old um, industry is ripe for disruption. That's pretty obvious, right? I mean, from some simple facts, like we're all supposed to follow bookshelves of laws that nobody is really able to even read in their whole lives, but you still, we're still expected to follow all of them, right? I mean, obviously this can't This work, is British right? law, maritime law here, don't you know? <laughs> it's, it's No, a, I don't, right? But it doesn't help me. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. You're just like, what? This doesn't even make any sense. So let me let me ask this. I want to let me ask this as a as a potential case study. So we did we did some work with a with a crypto company, right? And we we agreed upon a price. And let's say that the price of that that we agreed on was say twenty grand. And then the token price is at a certain low price. Let's say it's at two cents. And then you go, okay, so you owe us twenty grand. And uh, we're going to pay. And here's the price, the strike price we agree upon, right? Two cents. But then you do all this work and you blow up their, their ends up, their token ends up exploding because you've done a great job. Now the token's worth 90 cents. And now they want to pay you like 25,000 tokens because, oh, well, our token's worth 90 cents. Is there a way to do digital escrow in a way with your system to be like, okay, so. $20,000 worth of two cent tokens is this amount locked up. Once this work is done, you get the keys or it will unlock to you to make it easy. Because I think one thing in crypto is that companies aren't paying correctly based on what we agree upon because they don't have to, and there's no real good escrow system in place. Yes. Uh, so, the solution to that is, is is a lazy one, is a simple one, using stable coins, right? And there are coming, there are more interesting stable coins coming out now. For example, out of Wyoming, where uh, you have 102% coverage, and 
uh, that is really what you what you do then to to avoid this kind of trap, right? Um, that is that is one of the things that uh, that is basically on the roadmap for this right now. What what is doing it is dealing in native tokens, but it's relatively straightforward um, to build this towards uh, opening this up for the token of your choice, right? But what we have right now um, that is, uh, for example, an E for the Eternity blockchain or an Ether for Ethereum, and uh, isn't quite there yet to avoid also the this. Uh, uh, pitfall that you were describing at this point that's that's one of the things where for example uh, another thing is i'm a believer that we will have an additional layer in the blockchain world where you will to a certain degree be able to roll back what a smart contract does because my ambition really is to make it to, to be an interface basically to the legal world right to really make it useful for normal business right and the fact of the matter is that a, that a judge can, in the end, uh, retrospectively, like change the truth, right? So to be able to be in sync with the law, you have to find a way that a judge can actually do pretty much anything they want to a contract, right? But that's very possible. And that's also something uh, that from the beginning was part of this concept. That's not maybe what the focus uh, is on right now. That's that's not the AI part, so to say. That's a different uh, architectural element about blockchains. But yes, I mean, that's definitely things that to be useful for real business, so to say, you want to address these these questions. And of course, you know, we're talking about the law. Smart contracts apply to, you know, so many things across the blockchain space. I'm thinking NFTs, right? If I go and I look up the, the Board Ape Yacht Club uh, address in the contract, I'm met with, you know, language that I don't understand, right? I don't get this. Can, can Lexon take an existing contract and rewrite it? In, uh, in plain English and, and, and be functional? Or is that a goal of something that you want to be able to do? I think the goal here is what you would want to have is something that reads like Lexon in place of this Solidity contract, right? Mm -hmm. And that is something that we're definitely working towards. Um, interestingly, for example, the Remix guys from the uh, Ethereum Remix, they're interested in Lexon because they saw that it actually helps learning Solidity. Which is true because uh, you, when you type Lexon and you see what Solidity is created from that, that's a great tool to basically get into how Solidity works, right? But unfortunately, going from Solidity to Lexon, not really possible. Sure, the third generation language that Solidity is part of, there is something that is basically ripped out and the and the level of meaning that is really difficult to build back in, so to say into Solidity to go then back to natural language. I've been asked this question a lot of time. I wish um, the answer was yes, because of course, right? A lot of people have a lot of Solidity code uh, that they would love to basically become human readable. But because of this information problem that there's just something missing, if you have something that's really just programmed out in Solidity, that path directly is not what you, what you can have, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a, give us an example, right? I want you to share your screen right here. I'm going to put this up and uh, I want you to go ahead and give us an idea and kind of walk us through what does this look like in its simplest form? Tell us what we're looking at here. Yeah, so we're looking at a um, compiler right now and at an online compiler that is on the left-hand side um, having a field where I'll be typing 
Lexon text. And then on the right hand side, you're going to see Solidity text popping up actually. And I'll be talking to that a little bit, what you're seeing. And I'm going to use exactly the code that you uh, see at the first code on the, as, as a first example on the lexon.org website. So I just type lex escrow, right? And what the compiler does from that is visible now on the right hand side. And it basically just creates an empty Solidity contract, right? It just says Pragma Solidity contract escrow constructor public payable. That's all. And then I write, I start with the definitions. Now I write payer is a person. So that's the definition block what, that every Lexon contract starts with. And on the right hand side, you see um, it starts to fill in the fields into the object um, or into the contract. And it writes address payable pair. And then the constructor um, gets a command pair equals message sender, right? And then I continue with that. And I, uh, as a next uh, element, I'm the payee. And on the right hand side, it adds uh, again address payable payee. And then uh, I add the uh, notary, for example, or arbiter as it's called on the uh, on the website. And then I add the fee that is an amount, and so on. So that's and now on the right hand side, I have a uh, a contract defined with uh, the different elements in it: address payable payer, address payable payee, address payable notary, UN fee constructor address payable payee address and so on right and on the on the left hand side I, I just have payer is a person pay is a person notary is a person fee is a so is that um, pretty standard is that going to be in every one that you write when you're like payer payer is a person this is a this that is a that is there, is there like a dictionary that you're pulling those things from or i would say like payer is this company payee payee is travis i, I mean because it's almost like it, there's like little blocks there and it's generating that text. But if you don't know what you're supposed to put, maybe even over there in that left column, it, you're going to be like, okay, so what are my options to even put in there? Yes. Uh, so you have, um, as I said, right, the focus is on making the whole thing readable. Like when you write a contract, like a, a legal agreement, you also have to know as a lawyer what you're putting there, right? And Lex, learning Lexon is a little bit the same way. Like you have to understand what, what grammar, what sentences is allowed. And it's actually pretty simple sentences. So it's not difficult to learn, but it's not. You just have like some glossary that people can reference. Like if some attorney yes. or something is putting something together. Because I see on your website, Joel, if you want to pull that up, the uh, yeah. all those different use cases, that's pretty handy. And then also that that example, the precise internal model where it's showing clauses in this clause, in the body, and the statement, and the and the whatever, and the this, and the preposition, and the da 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 da, da. So those are all terms that attorneys are going to know. Laymen like us, we're just going to look at it and be glossed over like, Mer. But you're yeah, not going to code a smart contract anyway. Trav, that's like right. that's, this isn't for us. This, yeah, is for it is. Yeah, I guess it that's is. a good question. Who is this exactly for? Would you say it's for attorneys? No, I think it's for everybody, right? This oh. is really for making smart contracts do a do it yourself thing and um, giving making contracting part of what the definition of literacy is, even right? Because oh. now we use to smart contracts being something that startups do that is a big expensive thing. Um, but it could be a different, right? The, I think the name of smart contacts wasn't such a bad choice and you could have a completely different culture, how blockchains could be used and how people could be contracting directly with each other, right? 
And that's actually, I think that is the future. That's, that is going to happen because Lexon makes this so easy and we will end up having a one-click deployment uh, uh, path where people basically pull from a template, right? And then uh, get help from uh, generative AI to, to write up what they actually want to articulate. But then at a certain point, they will make sure there's no hallucination in there. And then they will go and uh, click the button and say, okay, this is the contract that I actually want. So it looks like you're you're building this on the eternity chain. Um, uses the the old English a. What do they call that? With the a and the e or together as one character. Eternity, yeah. So yeah. we going we're going to have a um, launch of this of the newest version of the compiler on the eternity blockchain, and uh, that is something where we're really bringing the work from the last uh, month and years together. Where we have a new grammar, we have basically something uh, from scratch. Uh, that is even more powerful than what, what we had before. And uh, where we're looking right now for people uh, who want to dive into this, give us feedback, become part of the community, basically. And um, uh, the Eternity uh, website, uh, the Eternity blockchain basically has this advantage. It is, in a certain sense, what Ethereum would have loved to be. Um, it is very accessible and it's very cheap and you can really do microtransactions with this and try things out right so that's a that's a great advantage it's it's it has very good engineering it has like super uh versed telecom and and uh finance programmers who created the smart contract language and the whole chain so that's all uh, it's pretty sound and it's, it's a pretty strong proposition about how a blockchain should actually be to uh to be useful That is fascinating. So I guess, you know, I was reading on here, it talks about, you know, the Eternity blockchain, and you have a token that's going to be built on top of this. So maybe, you know, I know this is not uh, where you're promoting what you're doing there, but maybe explain how would a token even work on your platform? Oh, it's simple. I mean, you just pay with a token for the compilation, right? There's this online compiler, as I just showed you. And for one successful compilation of a smart contract, um, you pay one token. That's as simple as it is, right? It's basically a voucher for uh, making these translations. That's simple enough. So, uh, why why eternity? I mean, if you're if most people are writing smart contracts on Ethereum and these other more popular chains, it do, it doesn't matter, right? You pick the chain to run the utility, but the contract can be deployed on any blockchain. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, Lexon already has basically three targets. Um, it has Solidity, so that's Ethereum. It has Sophia, which is Eternity, but it also has JavaScript, which is the computational law um, community and has nothing to do with blockchain at all, where uh, computational law is something that exists since the 40s, basically, is all about analyzing a contract, making a computer understand the contract. And they are not even interested in blockchain because they feel like that's just making the problem even more complicated. They are happy... Um, to actually just work with a normal programming language and it doesn't have to anything to do with uh, trust-like te technology underneath. Of course, I find trustless um, is more than the icing on the cake, right? It's really what, what makes the huge difference and I think what the, the huge business potential of the whole thing is. But the computational law um, uh, community is uh, really happy about the JavaScript version of this. So that's just three targets. Um, we will extend this. We, go, we will go beyond this because 
that is an expression of how Lexan is really the nexus, if you want, between natural language and different target languages and different technologies, because it really has the meaning uh, in an internal model of what the document means. And then creating out of that different computer languages is not trivial, but it's, it's, uh, it's relatively fast, actually. So there you go, Trav. If you're uh, if you're going to school to learn how to use Solidity, um, then uh, Henning's putting you out of business, basically. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds it's it's really interesting. So now I'm going down a rabbit hole. Let me ask you this then, as a as a, a you know a bystander of this, but somebody who has said uh, Eternity is, which it looks like a Eternity, but Eternity uh, is is a great product. So I'm I'm looking at this like what makes it a great product? Because I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it's been around almost six years. And it has basically had very little volume overall speak, you know, overall looking at it since like June of 2021. And so it looks it looks like maybe they're still building stuff, but their market cap 16 million dollars. So either it's something that's really awesome that a lot of people don't know about or people are just kind of forgetting about it. Like what what's your overall thoughts on eternity and why is that a, a, a good solution? Yeah, you know, I mean, this really reminds me to the time when I was uh, writing analysis about blockchains for IBM. And at some point, I had written a analysis about IOTA. And I um, <laughs> I basically said, well, it doesn't really work, right? And they didn't care. And then later, they asked me again if I would write an analysis about IOTA again. And I said, I still said, why do you think the analysis is going to be different, right? Yeah, well, there was investor interest. Of course, my analysis was not different, but um, looking at what a blockchain can actually do and how sound it is underneath is pretty different from looking at what the numbers are and how successful and popular it is. And I can tell you, Eternity totally tanked because they had an attack in the exactly wrong moment. Not that Bitcoin never had this big blow up or Ethereum had this big blow up also like in the middle of a death con, but for eternity, it wasn't forgiven, right? They just suffered really badly from it. Um, I can look into what the quality of the chain is myself. I know what happened. I know where the code wasn't perfect at that point. Like it wasn't for Ethereum or Bitcoin uh, at exactly that time of maturity, right? So yeah, that happens. I mean, that's uh, that's an unfortunate truth that I think what is actually making making it big and what is technologically on a, on a good level is can be very different things, right? It looks I would like they're still building that. though. It looks like they're still in it. They're still doing stuff. They're launching. They've upgraded their nodes. They've been going through yep. and and creating. Well, they're, they're they're not the only project, right? That is in the moment, yeah. not in the limelight, but where people are convinced of what they're doing there and they're toiling away. And it's just right. the reality, right? You have the stars and then you have the, the people who actually work. It's like four cents right now. So that's crazy. Considering well, that it was $5 at one point. Well, is the 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 listing on CoinGecko, is that the the actual token now? Because it says, it, let me put this up on the screen so you guys can see it as well. It says, um, Mainnet's live. There's still AE tokens on Ethereum managed by the contract that is here, but the contract expired in 2019. So are people buying uh, when they go here on Ethereum? Are they buying the actual token or do they have to get the token um, on the Eternity chain? 
No, no. I mean, that's that's an that's old news, literally. I mean, uh, this is its own chain, uh, and E is the token of the Eternity blockchain. I'm, so, I'm sorry. What is, what is the AE is the token? Yeah. So that's that's the native token of the Eternity blockchain, and it's not. So this this is accurate. What we're looking here, what people are trading as of this recording, it's around four cents a token. Yeah. And it started as an ERC twenty on on uh, Ethereum. But the the tag uh, there on CoinGecko is not. That's old news. That's not correct. Old. So CoinGecko is not updated. It's kind of like us, Trav. Old news. It's old still news. Maybe need to go to CoinMarketCap and take a look at it because it is. If like people are looking at that, they're seeing the old ERC twenty you know address there, and they're going to plug it in and check things out. But that's not might not be correct. So that's good. Good to know that it might not be in the right place, and might want to go check it out. It looks like the price is still accurate. But it just might be the wrong address in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dangerous. Well, Henning, appreciate you. I, I, Joel, yeah. have you done any research on Eternity at all? Because no, I don't know. This is just a, another chain that I've never heard of. And it seems like, you know, there's more and more. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to let them duke it out. And uh, hopefully the cream will will rise to the top. This is a, uh, it's a, this, you know, one of the things you look for in chains is use cases. And uh-huh. certainly Lexon, you know, real English smart contract coding could be a very practical use case for yeah, people. To say that again, I mean, the, the good point about that is it's really fast. It's not clogged and it's really economic to have your smart contract on them. So having the do-it-yourself environment of your dreams. Right. Well, but you said time, something. You said it's what Ethereum wishes it had been. And then I, I hear you say that and I go, wait a second. Whoa, this dude worked at IBM. He was doing the Hyperledger stuff. And he's saying that about this. Then that makes me want to go and look at it. Obviously not financial advice to anyone, but it's fascinating to hear why you think that, that this is maybe a, a better solution. Yes. And by the time this is airing, then uh, hopefully people will be looking out also what the ERC-20 like token the Lex token on the Eternity blockchain is doing because that's called AEX9 on uh, Eternity, and that's how we are going to start on AX9. Eternity. I no, am AX9. That's ERC20 standard on uh, how it's called on Eternity, AX9. And, and the is token. It gonna be like the LEX token or something? Exactly. We're going to have an LEX token, and that's why how you buy the compile time. Very nice. There you go. Well, listen, hey, we appreciate you coming on and, and educating us. Hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation today. And there's links in the show notes to the various places that we went. Thanks again, Henning. Appreciate you. Thank you guys so much. Two dudes talking crypto. Two dudes talking crypto. Joel and Travis are just two dudes talking crypto. Oh, yeah. Hey, thanks, Henning, for uh, this info today. We do appreciate it. Hey, Trav, hearkening back to our conversation prior to the interview, did you ever imagine, you know, as a kid that you'd be doing something like this today? Did you see yourself as an author, as a speaker, as a broadcaster? Did you think that you would be, you know, this tech fiend that would be talking about the latest happenings in technology advancements? I thought I would be actually in some sort of form of entertainment level because I know I like crack jokes 
And when I went to college and I took all the improv classes and I, I got selected to go to Second City. And right when that happened, we found out that uh, my girl was pregnant with my first kid. So I was like, oh, I guess I can't go to Chicago, the Second City. So that's just one of those destiny checkpoints that I look at and I go, whoa. But, you know, we instead about you're stuck here with me. I'm done to stay. I got to sit down comedy with you and this shitty podcast. I mean, bad, bad podcast. Good. <laughs> but it you know is- my first job was a radio disc jockey as one of your first ones and so mm-hmm. it's like being in front of a microphone doesn't feel foreign to us at all right no it's very very natural and uh, you know when you're first a dj it's like all right what am i doing here and maybe a little nervous and when you first speak on stage you might be a little nervous and now all of it you know we've done it for so long it's like walking into our own living room whether you're at a stage in front of thousands of people or you know or you're in front of a microphone broadcasting to thousands of people it's all i mean it's i all know when we went on radio city music hall dude i got i wasn't even really nervous like yeah. at all i was like dude i'm going on radio city music hall stage and i'm like where are my nerves? Yeah. I don't have any. I know <laughs> it's 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 it a weird so, thing. You know what? Maybe because it's like there's a comfort factor between you. You and I are going on stage right now. Boom, let's go kill it. So maybe that kind of diffuses any of my potential nerves that I would have had. But Radio City Music Hall seems to me to be one that in my mind, historically, I know that even when I go do a keynote, sometimes if there's a big crowd, I'm like, all right, let's go, T-Dubs. But you know, Radio City Music, oh, that place was freaking packed. And we went on stage after Spike Lee. Yeah. And I, I was like, okay, here we are. Let's go. Like, well, it was probably was because I was I was hodling you, you know, backstage beforehand and singing you a little lullaby. Hoddle me close to Tony Danza. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Wait until next week. We finally got Dan Mapes of the Spatial Web to, uh, to join us for an interview. And this is going to be mind blowing for you guys because you are going to see into the future of the internet like never before. This is not hyped up hyperbole here. Hyperbole? Hyperbole is when hyper burps. Yeah. Hyperbole. (laughs) Yeah. This is this is the real deal. This is not. Hey, maybe tech is going to go this way. Maybe this protocol becomes. No, this is happening already. And uh, Dan has got a lot to say. You want to just go ahead and bookmark now. Make sure you are subscribified that you have your notifications on that you ring all the bells and this would be a great time to turn to any nerdy friends you have that understand the, the vision of hey you know technology is changing we need to keep up with where uh where the puck is going this next episode is going to show you exactly where it's going and so you want to share this with others yeah and i'm editing it right now and it's going to be for the podcast but then also it's going to have some cool visuals if you're looking at it at youtube so Mm-hmm. choose your poison baby there you go thanks as always we appreciate your reviews especially if they're five star if they're not we don't appreciate them as much in fact don't waste your time yeah if not, you give but... us a one star review then we mock your little tiny micro penis <laughs> <laughs> what look at the I tiny li- i saw this it says you know what we ought to do is we ought to stop glorifying these serial killers and giving them like oh it's the green river murderer the strangler you know the son of sam they should just call him like the micro penis maniac and they're like man like i don't want to be one of those guys <laughs> all right well there you go I, i'm gonna file that under not a bad idea so uh, don't give us a one star please yeah yeah it, you and your little micro penis don't do 
<laughs> I think it's projection is what it is. When when they when you give us Mine's one a macro. star, Mine's it's, a macro. it's one inch. If you give us you know a five star, then it's telling us you're you know hey you're least average. You got some B, you got some BDE. You got That's these it. nuts. You got to drop them on the five stars. <laughs> hey everybody, thanks again. We appreciate you. We'll catch you on the next episode and uh, stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.